Katie Halper. I'm the host of The Katie Halper Show, which you can find on SoundCloud and iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget to sign up to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show, because there you can find bonus content, including extended interviews. We will be doing a live taping of The Katie Halper Show on June 30th at Caveat in New York City. That's 21A Clinton Street. And you can go to caveat.nyc to get tickets and get them for a discounted price if you go now. You can use the promo code KHALPERINSIDER. That's K-H-A-L-P-E-R-I-N-S-I-D-E-R. Again, that's KHALPERINSIDER. And our special guest will be none other than Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank, of course, is the author of Listen Liberal or Whatever Happens to the Party of the People and What's the Matter with Kansas. He writes for places like Harper's, The Guardian, and he is the founder of The Baffler magazine. And Thomas Frank has a brand spanking new book coming out called Rendezvous with Oblivion, Reports from a Sinking Society. And it's a collection of his writings. See you there, June 30th, 7 p.m. at Caveat at 21 Clinton Street in Manhattan with our special guest, Thomas Frank. On today's show, we talk to Phoenix Kalita and William J. Jackson. They are the hosts, the co-hosts of a very good podcast called The Black Podcast. And we also talked to Connor Habib. He, he's a sex worker um, advocate. And since we just had um, Pride, and Pride has become so corporatized, and it's like it's like pride slash cop solidarity. Get your fr- pride Jamba Juice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I wanted to talk to, to some people who would give a kind of a different view on that. A less corporate approach. A less approach. corporate approach, yeah. Really, you know, I would say that true liberation is just complete integration into the marketplace. Into the free market. That's, That's freedom, right. right? Yeah, That's freedom. Exactly. It's like if... Um, Milton Friedman were gay, he'd be perfect. Make every consumer feel comfortable buying products and from exploiting the exact other people. same store. Yes. So just so people understand when you're listening, uh, just for some context, FOSTA and SESTA, that stands for the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Surprisingly enough, uh, those are things that politicians get behind, those acts. And it makes web publishers legally liable if anyone uses their platform to post anything that could be construed as ad- advertisement for paid sex work, consensual or otherwise. Sounds great, right? Who doesn't want well, to oppose trafficking? We except- should get rid of Tinder. I think, yeah, probably save a lot of people a lot of hard work, uh, hard work, heartache and hard work. Sounds great, except it makes sex workers way less safe because it makes it harder for them to find clients online rather than on the streets where there's fewer advanced safety precautions. Also incentivizes websites to crack down hard on any sexual content and sex work discussion, given the risks they'll be found liable for. So Craigslist ended up deleting its entire personal section. Microsoft has started cracking down on sexual usage of Skype, et cetera. Um, And what makes that extremely dangerous is that that also means that, you know, people would use these websites to warn other people about dangerous predators. Right. So it it created uh, stop gaps and it created... um, Like a screening Filtering systems, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... So all these people who are coming out as, you know, anti-trafficking, they really have blood on their hands and it's not acceptable. And sex work is the last, I think, one of the last areas where people are just, I think people are better in general about like drug use than they are about sex work. And they're related only in that there's a major um, harm reduction aspect to it. So some people get how like, look, you may not want someone you know to be doing drugs. You may not like drugs. You may not approve of them, but you you realize that making them illegal endangers more people, harms more people, kills people. It, yeah, it also empowers. Um, yes. It gives, it empowers a poli- law enforcement to uh, abuse their, it incentivizes their abuse yeah. of their power. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My listeners out there, Gabe, we got to watch the show and talk about it. Seven seconds. Really good. Such a great show on Netflix. It, it sounds with- like it's about rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is in a weird way. It's about cops in uh, Jersey City. It's yeah. so great. Phoenix Khalid is a Chicago-based Afro-Latina loudmouth and local activist with a passion for advocating for black women, the LGTBQ community, and the sex work community. When not buried in yarn and DIY projects, she can be found co-hosting the Black Podcast or on Twitter. She can be found on Twitter at Uppity Negress. That's U-P-P-I-T-T-Y-N-E-G-R-E-S-S. William... Jay Jackson um, 
is a vocal and language artist from Pierce County, Washington State. He's pro-labor. Le- he's a pro-labor leftist, environmentalist, and anti-capitalist. He hopes to contribute to taking resources from a profiteering system and redistributing them to micro-societies of socialist communities. Whoa, he sounds like Robin Hood. He is. He's the host uh, and producer for Wine Cellar Media webcast and podcast, curator of WineCellarMedia.com News, editor for the Reading in the Shade blog, freelance rapper, independent news, and punditry. Really excited to be talking to our guests today. They're people I've been wanting to speak to for a while. So welcome to the Katie Albert Show. Hey. Thank you. Hey. Thanks for coming. Can you tell us a little bit about what your podcast is and how it started and how you guys met each other? Um, I had, I had always been doing audio already, <clears throat> um, performances and, um, and I've, I've been blue collar my entire adult life. And I've always used, um, monetizing audio online since uh, about 2002, 2003. So that, that's just something I've always done. And then, um, in 2010, I get this device called an iPod Touch, and somebody I knew at that time was like, hey, you can listen to podcasts now. And I'm like, what is that? And I uh, go into the iTunes application and find it, and I check out some programs. And I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, I can do that. You know, like I already have the microphone and everything that I use for recording anyway. So all I have to do is find out what an RSS feed is and do it. And I started the program, I called it a Father Teresa's Wine Cellar, because at that time, like a a lot of black atheists on the internet were finding each other and having a good time clowning. So I got in on that. But then after a while, I mean, just saying, hey, I'm atheist and not religious, that's boring. All right, so I wanna do a news and comment, um, naturally gravitated to doing um, anti-capitalism, anti-imperialism. Um, uh, sex workers' rights and trans rights sort of came at the same time in the same episode. When I was just reading news about trans rights and found out that like, um, they would be arrested if they were, you know, stopped and frisked in New York and just had condoms on them. Boom, we're gonna call you a sex worker or a prostitute, if you will, and arrest them. So then those became issues on the, on the program. And then um, in late 2013, uh, there was that performer. Who was that performer that was going to do the, the slave show the, at a, the plantation party? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, okay, I completely forgot. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, a lot of us came together and I met Phoenix Clear. Oh, Annie DeFranco. Annie oh, on DeFranco. DeFranco. On DeFranco, yeah. yeah. She was going to do a, um, oh my God, it was like a workshop. Yeah. It was like... A, a, a woman's retreat or something to like come together and like, empower women. Yeah, and, like, and it happened to be at a in, slave uh, plantation. <laughs> plantation, yeah. And I think her response was like, well, you know, lots of places have bad histories or like, you know, there are lots of places that slaves built. But yeah, it's a little bit insensitive. And there are places that aren't literally like uh, recuperated or recovered uh, mm-hmm. plantations. And you'd probably have to, if you ever wanted to use something like that, you'd probably have to, like, acknowledge that. Well, I think a big part of her problem was that she came in with the idea that, like, but we're bringing positive energy, so the horrific, like, history of this doesn't matter. And that's not how it works. (laughs) It's a really interesting question of, like, what the appropriate way to respond to historical monuments. Buildings and bridges are made to bend in the wind to withstand the world as I come across Phoenix Kaliter, you know, when folks are just responding to that and there's all sorts of conversation on the Facebooks and in the whole worldwide webernets in general. And um, and I end up talking to Phoenix Kaliter uh, in private messages and on the telephone. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this nigga's fucking ill, you know? And, uh, and I was like, more people need to hear this nigga, man. And, uh, but she's in these groups in the Facebooks, these little whack ass groups with these fucking dorks. And I'm like, that's all you're doing, man. Come on the program. And like, she come and talk some shit on the podcast and it's raw. And then like, there are people that start tuning into the program more so to hear her intellect than my, you know, ranting about the NSA and whatnot. You know, so folks really want to hear Phoenix Kalita more. You know, and now that was uh, 2014. Here we are, 2018. She's flying out to D.C., flying out. And that was that became the idea was make more people hear Phoenix Kalita. All the other issues are still there, but make more people hear this raw-ass nigga right here. So you're like her hype man? Yes. Yeah. 
She is. <laughs> nice. And how's that? Is that an okay dynamic for both of you? Yeah, I think it's a good dynamic. But, you know, we were talking there and then I was like, well, I'm just going to talk to him some more. And then, you know, everything was going on with Andy DeFranco, just other general social justice stuff. And it's like, we, we have a lot in common. We should talk more. And then it was going on the podcast. And here we are. Uh, environmentalism was always there. Uh, what uh, reproductive rights that was always there. Um, always talked about uh, white supremacy and whatnot. The way my biological mother tried to raise me leftist before I went into foster care before she died um, October 15th, 1993. But how did she t- try to raise you left? Like what, what kind of values or ideas did she instill in you? Oh, uh, environmentalism. Like anytime there was somebody um, uh, doing a talk about that, she uh, took me to that. Uh, she had me uh, watching and analyzing George Carlin and then telling me oh, what wow. he was talking about. Yeah, like, you know, when I was seven years old, you know, right. she'd get me home from school and she'd be like, all right, now he's talking about feminism. But wow. notice where he's saying like, oh, they don't give a shit about black women's problems and whatnot. I've noticed that most of these feminists are white middle class women. They don't give a shit about black women's problems. They don't care about Latino women. All they're interested in is their own reproductive freedom and their pocketbooks. But like he agrees with him here and there. But when it comes to changing the language, I think they make some good points because we do think in language. And so the quality of our thoughts and ideas can only be as good as the quality of our language. So maybe some of this patriarchal shit ought to go away. I think spokesman ought to be spokesperson. I think chairman ought to be chairperson. I think mankind ought to be humankind. And she put put in her effort. Then um, what about you, Phoenix? Were you raised by lefty parents? Absolutely not. Um, I was actually born on the west side of Chicago. Went through foster care pretty early. Ended up getting adopted into a very white conservative family. They actually voted for Trump in the last election. So like the fact that I can, you know, breathe with my mouth shut, I think is kind of an accomplishment. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm winning. Um, yeah, it was, it was incredibly like racist and traumatizing basically my whole childhood. <laughs> your family was too, oh, yeah. not just the neighborhood, like your actual parents. Um, well, my I have not seen my biological parents since I was like six or seven. Sorry, so. I meant your foster parents. That's what I meant. Oh, my foster. Oh, yeah. They the whole area was traumatized because like they lived in a white community. It was like a middle class white area. The whole thing was conservative, and everybody was you know, oh, the illegals are taking our jobs, right. and you know, the problem with the blacks is that they you know whatever live in my so, neighborhood yeah, was, now. <laughs> so yeah, so that was kind of like my whole upbringing. So it was a uh, it, it was not pleasant. So both of you were in foster care. Yes. Yeah. What was your what were the ages that you were in it? I got the I got the paperwork uh signed uh when I was 14, but I never really was in like a general house the whole time. Like sometimes it'd just be like, "Ah, you're going to be over here for a week on the east side of town. Now you're going to be over here for, you know, a month or so on the north end of town." You know, there was one house I was at the most but, you know, I, I never really knew where I was going to be. Uh, sometimes, especially in the early point of it, like when I was 12, sometimes it might just be like, and sleeping outside today. You know, you never know. And what about pride? How was your pride? Uh, can you, you want to give us your, like, you know, your hot take on pride and its its, limita- its limitations? Uh, I, well, I don't celebrate pride. That's my hot take. Um, <laughs> because pride is not actually a safe space for most LGBTQIA people, mm-hmm. like, you know, which is something you're not supposed to say. You're like, oh, pride and go out and celebrate yourself and love yourself and love is love is love and wedding cakes or what the fuck ever. But it's like, y'all inviting cops to pride. Yeah. Um, cops really love to fuck up trans people. Yeah. Like, I don't know if everyone has missed that memo. You know, um, uh, you know, when it comes to police, you know, brutalizing the LGBTQIA LGBTQIA community, it's a big deal. And especially like within the context of sex work, because, you know, for me, everything always goes back to like race, class and sex work. Um, But it's like a lot of people who were put out of their families for coming out as queer or coming out as gay or whatever, or trans, end up being on the streets and they have to do survival sex work in order to survive. So it's like, now y'all want to tell them, come to Pride and celebrate yourself and uh, rub shoulders with the same people that sexually harass you, steal your money, beat you, rape you, and threaten to arrest you every other day of the month. Like, that's what we're doing. 
you know so it's like you know fuck cops and pride has also gotten really fucking corporate and it's like anytime you start letting corporations in that's when you start losing the authenticity of the event so now it's like a very uh, you know white gay upper middle class bourgeoisie thing where it's like oh you know we can go to pride and we have we, we're buying our you know 27 dollar pride shirts we have right. our pride haircut. We have all of our pride products. And it's like, what about poor niggas that can't afford shit? Mm-hmm. Can they have an event where they can be safe from both corporatism and police presence? Right. Because those are the people who started pride, right? People like, you know, uh, we have a very like... Um, Disneyfied? Weird fuck. Yes. Yes. Like this weird focus. Like LGBTQ means like conventionally attractive white gay men. Right. Maybe, maybe a lesbian couple. And it's like... Yeah. No, you know, when Pride started, it was, you know, LGBTQ activists. It was lesbians. It was trans people. It was people who were angry and in the streets. It was non-white people. It was people with disabilities. It was people who were sex workers. And now we just have this really polished package thing in Pride. It's not only is it not fun, it's also not safe. So I'm not, I'm not trying to fuck with all that. Right. You know? And of course, just for me personally, like I have an extra level of aggrava- aggravation because I identify as bisexual and people get really upset by that for some reason. I don't understand why. you're supposed but... to be just like, because uh, that, that doesn't exist. Who is... Uh... Well, like, the thing is that, like, um, people get, like, people, a lot of people in the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ community get upset because their thing is like, well, but how can you be bi if you're in a relationship with a man? That's so like, stupid. Uh, I don't, I've never understood like, that critique what? of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know the same reason that you're still gay when you're single. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? But yeah, and then there's like, I don't know, there's just a lot of arguments around how people need to identify and like, you have to identify as queer or you can't identify as queer because queer is a slur and it's not right to reclaim it or we have to reclaim it. And it's just, uh, it makes me tired as fuck. I'm old and I'm tired. You know what is ironic coming full circle is Ani DeFranco, who I grew up listening to. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. She has this song called In or Out. Their eyes are all asking, are you in or are you out? And I think, what is this about? It's about people wanting to put you in boxes. Some days the line I walk turns out to be straight. Other days the line tends to deviate. I've got no criteria for sex or race. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to see your face. I got spots. I got stripes, too. I've got spots. I've got stripes, too. She disappointed a lot of fans, I think, when she married a man. Oh, yeah. she she was like a very coffee house lesbian aesthetic, short hair, like shaved mm-hmm. head, and like folk singer. Yeah, folk singer. Yeah. You said coffee house lesbian. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm learning the white vernacular. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Got to spread that uh, word. We got to bring. We're going to unite <laughs> the world. Okay. This is the, the, yes. the multiracial organizing alliance that we need will be built with um, based on like stereotype after stereotype, <laughs> <laughs> brick by brick, stereotype by stereotype. In a coffee shop. In a city, which is every coffee shop in every city, on a day, which is every day. So can you talk to us about how you guys got involved in sex work or sex worker uh, activism, organizing, advocacy? Yes, Um, because I actually did sex work uh, earlier on in my life because bills exist and homelessness really sucks. Wait, doesn't that mean you're not allowed to talk about it? Because I, I think only people who've never done it, yeah, save, that's the- <laughs> save sex workers are allowed to actually have opinions on it. You know, it, it, was, it was the funny thing. I thought that uh, I would actually have valid opinions, but it turns out all I had to do was watch documentaries, yeah. never actually do the job, and then I could be an expert on the field. Um, you know, PhD in horology from watching documentaries. Like, really, it's... Uh, Phoenix just wrote a great piece, uh, Great timing, just so yes. so I get credit. I wanted to do this before she, even before she blew up on <laughs> Vice, on the motherboard at Vice. Uh, she wrote a piece called They Think They Have a PhD in Horology, How Lobbying for Sex Worker Rights Helps Educate Us All. Um, so, yes. so And the sub-headline of that is Sex Worker and Activist Phoenix Kalita on how talking to politicians about her rights on Capitol Hill was a little scary, but well worth it. You actually opened the piece uh, by saying... Uh, 
Hi, you, I mean, uh, you can read it later if you want. I don't want to, like, you're here and I'm literally yeah. reading your words, but <laughs> I have in front of me. So, <laughs> Hi, my name is Phoenix, yeah. and I'm an yeah. 18-year veteran of the sex work industry. In some ways, my history around the sex work industry is incredibly cliche. I got involved in the industry out of economic necessity. I was a teenager who also happened to be a single parent that needed money. Some of my experiences around the industry are a little less cliche. Someday I'll tell you all about the guy who lived at a Trump property and made and paid me to burn his genitals. Life can be weird like that. So we'll get maybe by the end of this episode, you'll share that, that anecdote with us. <laughs> but um, the emphasis is that no longer doing it because it's illegal and sesta fosta happened. So, you you know, we emphasize what, what we do. Um, yeah. But no, so just being part of the community has always been really important as far as forming a sense of identity, as far as having... Um, you know, people who understand you, people who get you, who accept you. So, you know, sex worker activism advocacy was just the natural progression of things. Can you tell us about uh, what you did uh, in Washington, D.C.? The June 1st and June 2nd, right? Yes. Were the, yes. Is it an, it's a newish um, holiday, I guess? Yeah, it's a newish holiday. Uh, <laughs> International Horrors Day or International yeah. Sex Worker Day. Depending where you fall in relation to the industry, you can choose which term you use. Um, yeah, like, please, please don't say whore if you're not actually a sex worker, um, or haven't been a sex worker. So, but, like, um, does that mean, like, people really shouldn't, should say International Sex Workers Day? It's like the N-word, yes. kind of, but for... Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's one of those, uh, reclamation, it's like a, it's a reclamation thing for sex workers, because right. that is a derogatory term, so, yeah. Okay, so non-sex workers should say International Work, um, Sex Workers Day. Sex Workers Day, yes. Okay, yes. heads up, everyone. Okay. Um... <laughs> so uh what we did so se- wait i guess I, I guess we should start with sesta fosta right yeah sure yeah uh so basically it's legislation that was recently passed it was i cannot emphasize enough a bipartisan effort both democrats and republicans overwhelmingly support this piece of shit and trump signed it so here we are and the idea is that this bill is supposed to um reduce the amount of tr- uh sex trafficking online Kamala Harris is one of the people that's really been in this argument. She was like, oh, we got to shut down Backpage. And then, you know, like the Craigslist personals went down and things like that. Because they're what they did is basically um, websites are not responsible for what third parties post. So if somebody posts, you know, an ad saying I'm offering, you know, X sexual service for X amount of money. Now, basically, uh, the website that is allowing that ad to be posted is going to be held legally accountable. You know, so um, that was never the case before. And they're like, oh, this is going to stop trafficking. But really, all it did is remove places that sex workers can screen clients, places that sex workers can advertise. And now they just lost a bunch of actual trafficked people because they don't have a, a digital footprint to trace anymore. So basically, it made everything worse for everybody. Like what what I did in D.C., um, Kate Diadamo put on, uh, you know, created the event and created the first uh, sex worker lobby day. It was the day before International Sex Workers Day. And the idea was to go and get a bunch of actual sex workers, current or former, cur- current or former <laughs> informants. <laughs> Check me out. Uh, remember that snow song? Great. I do. Okay. Yes. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to do there. Oh, yeah. Because I listen to the program. You know, I'm going to cut it in. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, say that I'm a stony of a blam. I like bum bum Um, So former and current sex workers, as well as sex worker allies and activists to basically go to Capitol Hill. And we had meetings set up, um, you know, with different lawmakers. And the idea was to sit down and be like, hey, um, you signed you you signed uh, on to SESTA FOSTA. You probably didn't realize all the unintended consequences. Here's the unintended consequences. Can we talk about maybe including sex workers the next time you want to make sex work legislation? Right. You know, and kind of trying to create those sort of bonds. And the thing that we kept hearing was all these lawmakers were like, well, we didn't really read it. They just kind of got like passed through like real sudden. And it was about child trafficking. So like right. I had to sign it. You know, you had to because children trafficked bad. You know, and like nobody, right. And so nobody like really read the bill. Nobody really understood the ramifications. And when we were talking to people like, hey, so just so you know, the way SESTA-FOSTA is set up, like now harm reduction is illegal under this uh, policy. So things like sex workers had um, 
like mm-hmm. bad date websites and lists, right? So, if, you know, you saw somebody who did turn out to be abusive or, you know, stole your money or physically threatened you or, you know, whatever. We, you know, would, uh, sex workers would pass those names around and be like, hey, you know, here's this person's email. Here's their name. Here's their license plate number. Here's a photo. This is what they did. Try to avoid this person. And there were these internal networks of sex workers trying to keep each other safe. But passing that info around on the Internet is now illegal. Right. So like, what do you think? Like, how fucked up is that? It's illegal for one sex worker to email another sex worker and be like, hey, this person is dangerous. So we can have like, girl, don't date him or whatever that website. But you can't do it when it's actually people who could like die, die. Yeah. Yeah. Kill you, harm you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Or even now, like, harm reduction, uh, like, activism, you know, sending emails and organizing events online about, like, um, condom distribution is illegal, (laughs) you know? So it's like, why would you think that a bill that makes it illegal for sex workers to talk about uh, dangerous clients and where to find condoms is going to help anybody? And is anything going to change now, do you think, with the, with the, uh, the FOSTA SESTA stuff? Um, I think it's too early to call it. I, and that was like something staffers kept asking us. They're like, well, like, do you have any statistics? And I'm like, nigga, we don't have statistics. The shit passed, the shit passed like five weeks ago. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can tell you that in the last, you know, two months that five sex workers have died and that eight are missing. Yeah. I can tell you that. But, um, you know, I can also tell you that when, um, Craigslist and uh, Backpage were up that the actual n- national homicide rate of women dropped. I can tell you that. And those are gone. So I'm, you know, just interested to see, well, I say interested, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not good interested. It's just trying to be aware of like, you know, is that homicide rate going to creep back up again? But I think that a big thing is when you point out uh, what they did and no sugarcoating it, being honest, like, look, you stopped allowing people to be able to talk about people who've raped them. And now those rapists are free to prey on other people. Like, is that what you want? You know, so I think that maybe just in that, for that aspect alone, we might see some changes. Right. But like, so that they're just people don't have people's deaths on their, like, blood, literal blood on their hands. Yeah. Because this basically now, like, disempower, like, makes it harder for people to warn other people about dangerous people. So it's kind of hard to see how that wouldn't have uh, an effect. Right. Well, and, you know, and another aspect of it, too, is that now workers who don't have anywhere to advertise, they're going back to street work and the pimps are waiting. Mm. Like the pimps are fucking accept- pimps love this, love this shit. This bill is good for them. Um, it's good for traffickers because now there's more people in desperate situations who don't have anywhere to advertise. And so they're making bad deals with people who are promising to get them business or be their managers or promote them. Right. So, yeah, like I actually fully anticipate not I'm not sure that the government will ever admit it. But I fully anticipate rates of traffic people going up because we don't know where to find traffic people now because they don't have the digital footprint because the ads aren't up. And now more people ha- are in proximity to really bad people like traffickers and pimps. So it's like, Word. you know, because that's like, like people, I don't think people realize that like pimps have shit on lock. Whereas like if you go to an area, they're like, this is where I work. And if you work here, you work for me. People don't necessarily realize like that's like it is very territorial kind of shit. I don't think people necessarily realize that. So it's like when sex workers go to street work, that's what they're going to run into. And a lot of sex workers now uh, came up through their careers during the back page era or during the Craigslist era. They don't know how to navigate street level shit because they never had to do it before. So that leaves them open to making a lot of really like stupid new mistakes. Um, and that leads to bad situations that they might not be able to get out of. It's a law that uh, they, they, they claim that it's to protect um, victims of trafficking, right? Um, and there's this, like, they conflate consensual sex work, basically, and, like, kidnapping. Um, it, it, I actually was talking to, I don't know if you know Connor Habib. Um, yes. Yes. So I was talking to him about this. He and I were saying how people conflate, in general, like, consensual sex with, like, a quote-unquote infidelity or philandering. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. consent makes them so different like right. being kidnapped or being an indentured servant or a slave, basically, um, and being trafficked is so different from being someone who decides that this is what they are going to do to the extent that anyone has a, tr- a choice when we're living in the capitalist world system, right? 
Right, right. But that's like a job versus having absolutely like no consent. And so I think that like inherently laws that aim to protect those same populations and pretend that they're the same things aren't going Mm -hmm. to actually protect um, and empower people. They aren't. And a lot of it is really wrapped up in just basically like puritanical bullshit, like that moralistic panic where they're like, no little girl dreams of growing up to be a sex worker. Therefore, anyone who is a sex worker must be forced into it and is a victim of trafficking. And it's like, nobody really grows up and dreams about working in a fucking call center and being cussed out all the fuck long day either. And yet here the fuck we are. So it's like, you know, they conflate it in that aspect because it is uh, policing women's sexuality, policing the ways in which women are allowed to make money under this system. And it's also um, just very, very convenient to not listen to sex workers and to say, oh, we don't have to listen to you because you all are victims. So we're going to save you. So it also feeds that like savior complex bullshit. Well, yeah. now, but that that's because you sell your bodies and coal miners don't. Yeah, what, <laughs> miners what is don't. the difference? Like, I don't, people really seem to think that there's a difference. Like someone I was talking to is like, oh no, but it's different because um, sex involves, sex work is the only job that involves penetration. And it was just such a random, like, hey. But you know what? That's actually a huge misconception around sex work is that it's like, is literally fucking. Um, it's not necessarily, right? Because there are people who want, like, professional BDSM services. Like, they literally just want to be tied up in flogged. Like, you don't actually have sex. Like, I like um, the way you, you're, you're putting that as example. Like, that'll that'll <laughs> calm people who think penetration is bad or problematic. <laughs> like, don't worry. It's, it's fine. There's It's just a lot, good old-fashioned doming a lot of time. And like, don't worry. Yeah. It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, like... Nobody it, got penetrated, though. It's okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. No penetration. Just... Just diapers. And the obsession with what sexual contact, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and like that's the big deal. No, and I, I, you know that is one of the conceptions is that it always involves sex. People like phone sex is a type of sex work. Um, you know, camming is sex work. So I mean, there's all those things that don't necessarily involve sex. But then even if it does involve penetration, like I know I'm gonna piss people off, but may I ask? What is the difference between a sex worker and a housewife who has been taught that it is her her job to keep her husband sexually satisfied? Is that not also a job that involves penetration? No? That's different? Oh, okay. I mean, I think there's two things. So there's like, like you were saying, not all sex work is is the same. Yes, all sex work, not all sex work, which is true. But I also (laughs) think it's like we might as well just go to the stuff that actually makes people, because people don't realize how much values inform that. Like how, like you were saying, puritanical or just, it's just so arbitrary. Like, why is that something that makes it inherently bad, whereas like working in a slaughterhouse isn't inherently bad? Like most people who identify anywhere from liberal to the left, certainly to the left of liberal, like we all believe that workers, even when they do jobs we don't want to do, like they deserve rights and dignity. Like Mm -hmm. we don't just say like, let's make working in a slaughterhouse illegal. Right. I, I honestly think it's just that people don't like the idea of women having sex outside of patriarchal standards and norms. Um, You know, that's something that's just seen as dirty. And I think it also feeds into ideas about male sexuality, too. There's, like, a lot of stigma around the idea that, you know, like, oh, if you have to pay for sex, something's wrong with you. Either you're, like super abusive or like you're in, you're incapable of finding a partner and women have historically been responsible with gatekeeping everything from men from emotions to sexuality so it's like not only are sex workers bad because women aren't supposed to be having sex and most sex workers are women so not only they're bad because they're having sex outside of marriage they're also bad because they're allowing bad men to also have sex so it's like oh, yeah a friend know. of mine once said like well, would you want your boyfriend to to go to a prostitute I was like, no, but I also wouldn't want my boyfriend to, like, be in the Young Republicans. Or now I wouldn't even want him to be in, like, you know, like, the Young Dems, honestly, unless he was a real Bernie mm-hmm. crap. But, um, that, yeah, again, it's like this fear, this fear, you know, like, we have mm-hmm. to stamp out sex work so that I'm not worried about my husband or boyfriend going to uh, see a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And I think she even said, like, well, at least he'd have to, like, go abroad if it's illegal here. Like, so, like, make them, like, use sex work over there so they don't have to do it here. 
Which is also like, okay, let's make it illegal and see if that stops it. It's been illegal for decades. Like, what the fuck? It's funny. My mind is just went back to the death penalties because I'm against the death penalty in principle and in practice. Like, like you were saying, it's we have a like we kill innocent people. Also, it's racist and classist. But besides that, like even if I knew 100 percent that people would were guilty, I would just be against it. Even if I thought in principle, like sex work was like an unfortunate thing that happened, like I would still be like, okay, well, it's bad, but what's going to be worse? Like illegalizing it and criminalizing it and pushing it into the underground or letting sex workers have as much access to whatever other, the things that other workers have. Like it's not going to, no, what's going to happen? People honestly think they're going to get rid of it. It's like the oldest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks to um, depending on the individual, either the cognitive dissonance involved mm. of thinking that pushing it, like, because the, the idea is that sex workers are somehow like broken, damaged victims right. who need help, you know, but it's like pushing it underground makes sex workers more unsafe. So you're literally putting people in more uh, proximity to physical danger of being assaulted, uh, physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, being murdered, being extorted, being blackmailed. Like you're literally putting somebody closer to danger. So there's like a cognitive dissonance. You're saying that they're, they're victims who need help, but let me support this legislation or these ideas that make them more unsafe. Or that speaks to your sadism that you're like, yeah, I think you're already fucked up, but here's how I can make it worse for you. Yeah. Or like some weird tough loveism, right? Where they think that they're like gonna like force them to get like pull themselves up by their bootstraps, I guess. Or whatever straps. That's just, that's just sadism. Yeah, I, I think it is sadism effectively. I think it's like, I mean, I don't know even how much it's worth getting into it. I, 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 did, I was hearing your, um, William, on one of the episodes, you spoke about how you won't, de- you won't even debate people on sex work. And I totally understand what you're saying because, like, you're not going to validate or kind of sanction this view, this, like, draconian, sadistic view that says that it should be decriminalized. And I think, um, Phoenix, you were saying, like, yeah, they're just sadists. And I think that's definitely true for a lot of people. But I also think that there's just something where, from a distance, like, I don't think that Lena Dunham, or like, is a sadist. Uh, I know it's like the most unpopular thing it's to ever say anything remotely like redemptive or I'm not a Lena Dunham fan. I just mean that like, I think that lots of people, they just don't know enough about it. And they're definitely privileged and out of touch. And they just feel bad. It's like, I feel like some people are just sadists and other people are just infantilizing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. And for the people who are like legitimately like ignorant in the case of like not knowing and understanding, what they actually need to do is shut the fuck up though. Because it's okay that you don't. Right. Like, it's okay that you don't know, but until you do know, you need to stop ruining it for other people and hurting people. Because that's, like, what's happening. Whether that's your intent or not, that's the that's the result. And have your guys' views on sex work changed over time? No. No. So you you never had to grapple with it, like, as a, like, you, you did it as a teenager, you said, right? Yes. And did you, you didn't have any conflicts, like, I'm not saying you should, this is not some kind of, like, reverse psychology i'm just saying yeah. was there like were there societal pressures and norms that you had to struggle against or were you- um i pretty much saw it then the same way i see it now where it's just like well this is work and i need money so let me go do this shift basically was the attitude um there were struggles with it but that was just because of like social stigma where it was like you know really uncomfortable knowing that like, you know, what I had done the night before, you know, with a client, and then I'm sitting around a group of friends who are like, oh my God, dead hooker jokes are the best thing in the world. And you're like, oh, and if, if we could not, you know? So in that aspect, like it, it, at times it's been very difficult, but as far as like me personally, like my morality on it or my opinion of it, like it's, it's a job. You just fucking go to work and do the work. Did you uh, like, were you able to tell people about it? Did you lose friends over it? Did you like not tell people about it? Um, I mean, I've never told my family, which would might be a hilarious Thanksgiving dinner or something. Yeah, point. definitely film, film, <laughs> film that. <laughs> Best Facebook Live ever. Yeah. But, um, no, I, at times I have told friends. I've definitely lost friends over it. Um, I've lost friends who thought that, you know, like, oh, this person's, like, like I'm hypersexual and I'm going to mm. try to steal their boyfriend. Oh, yeah. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm just working. It's not even... I wasn't even into it then, you know. Like, gonna try to steal their boyfriend yeah. by saying you you have to pay this much exactly. for one session and then go back. But this is how I'm stealing you. I'm glad yes, I'm going to steal their boyfriends by making them pay for sex. Yeah. Um, obviously. That's that's 
the best. So, you know, like in that aspect, um, there's some people I just had to cut out of my life because they were toxic about it. Cause you know, like my childhood, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a fucking ball of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, the, as I said, the family I was placed with was very conservative, white, religious, Christians and you know that was the kind of thing where you just you know if you hit your kids enough that eventually whatever lesson you're you know whatever lesson you have will sink in so there was like frequent beatings there was lots of sexual abuse there was um you know lots of like very forced uh you know like you have to attend church and conform to our particular religious standard and things like so it was like just very abusive and a lot of ways yeah. so when i told people when i was older who knew me when i was younger like oh you know yeah so like oh is it because of your parents totally right there's like a pathologizing it right i was like or maybe it's because i'm a broke bitch and i need money broke not broken that would be a good uh yeah slogan i mean people say that about mm-hmm. like with women also that being you're like they're lesbians for the same reason like these people are really like there's a high correlation between abuse and sex work. There's a high correlation between um, sexual trauma and sex work. It's also, again, like if you sit down and think about it, that's a really whack argument um, because, well, you know, OK, so I don't know if you saw the recent surveys and uh, studies they did speaking to black women. It was somewhere around 50 percent of black women reported being sexually abused or um surviving an attempt of sexual abuse before age 18. Like, by if, if sexual abuse is what makes somebody go to sex work, by that logic, half of Black women would be sex workers. You know, like, the rates of uh, Indigenous women who are raped and sexually abused are astronomical. Right. But they're not all sex workers. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, we have a very pervasive rape culture in and of itself, you know? So it's like, there's not nearly as many people who are sex workers as there are people who have been sexually abused. So that argument really just doesn't like hold up. So yeah. it's, it's such a bizarre argument to me, like honestly. People lots of times don't get it. It's such anecdotal. Not everyone who's abused will tell you about it, right? And right. so people are already looking for this this narrative. So they may ask a sex worker if that happened. They may not ask a, I don't know, a landscaper. Or it's like so hypocritical, though, because it's like you claim to be wanting to help these people, then you just actually make them less safe. And it's not like you provide anything else. It's not like even like within the narrative of like of savior, like it's not like they're Mm -hmm. putting in programs. It's not like they're getting, you know, hooking people up with resources. Speaking of which, um, the Department of Justice actually just redid their budget and they had a program where if somebody was trafficked or um, caught a prostitution charge, well, let me back up. A lot of people don't know it's legal in most states to arrest traffic victims and charge them with prostitution. Let's start with that. that. Um, A lot of people don't know that. Um, And it's also legal for police to come into sexual contact with sex workers um, under the guise of investigation. Oh, great. Yeah, so sex workers are... Right. So sex workers are getting raped and then they're getting arrested and then they're getting charged. And then when they get out, they can't get a straight job because they have a record. So there was a program in the the Justice Department that uh, was basically dedicated to that so people could get their shit expunged. When they redid uh-huh. their budget this year, they cut that program. So you're saying sex workers could get it expunged when they were basically entrapped? Yes. By law enforcement? Well, okay. entrapped in, if it was a trafficking situation. If oh, it was okay. a trafficking situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wait, the cops were like, I have to investigate, so I have to have sex with this person? Like, he, like it's not enough yes. to, to, like, propose, like... Right. Yeah. It's not enough to be like, if I pay you, will you? No, it's not enough. They I, Well, I mean, that is enough, but they choose to abuse their no they're just really dedicated law officers of the law right they're like really into yeah blue blue lives don't deserve blue balls oh my god that's really good (laughs) i like that that's the other the thing i love about you guys is that like you're so irreverent and like offensive but you also like no one can really call you out on that stuff because people who are like civil or like you know are like less irreverent they don't cover any of the stuff you cover like, no, you know, know, like you're actually doing doing the work, so to speak. Well, I mean, they, they can I mean, they can try to call us out. Yeah. It usually doesn't end well for people. They just sound like they don't really get any, do anything important with their lives. Yeah, I was thinking about like what Phoenix Peters <laughs> did and what she's doing here, because, you know, I uh, in between the 12 hour shifts, I get to scroll my little news feed and um, 
I saw an individual that made a post and they were like, your Bernie Sanders voted for Sesta Fosta. And I'm thinking, all right, and you made a faux outrage post about it and Phoenix Kalider got her ass up, went to DC and lobbied with Sanders staffers about it. But you made a, you made a post. You made a post to be angry. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Also, I love that. I mean, I know I'm like way too Bernie Philic. It's like, I need to get, move on. But <laughs> like, yeah. If you want to talk about, this is uncomfortable, no one wants to talk about this, but if we want to, like, name names about which, which politicians did the right thing, like, Rand Paul wrote, voted the right way on this. Like, this does make, like, this yeah, is one of those difficult. areas where, like, libertarians, not because they're, like, progressive or woke or, like, pro-sex work, but they're just, like, anti-state, anti-government. Right. And they're, like, horrible on civil rights. I mean, I'm, I'm a, people... As you guys, I think, know, I got into some trouble because it looked like I was, like, aligning myself with, with the fascists who, like... Oh, yeah, Yeah. With people who would kill me if they knew my own background, ethnically. Right. Now, obviously, like, I walk down the street and I'm not seen as, like, Jew, big Jewy McJew. So I get that I have, like, mm. white privilege and non-Jew privilege. But, um, you know, Barbara Lee, like, thanked Rand Paul for voting, the like, for, for saying something or voting the right way on something Syria related. So I'm a little over, and like, I like Barbara Lee and lots of the people who, who are critical of any kind of recognition that the right will do good things for the wrong reasons. And we don't need to praise them. It's just like, look, we should look, Ram Paul, like did, you know, whatever. Anyway, slight, slight. No, I mean, like, honestly, the whole Sanders thing is irritating on a certain level because I think that there's the assumption that like, oh, leftists love Bernie. And it's like, I don't, I'm not obsessed with him for the same reason I go, I don't go to church. I'm not looking for a Jewish man to save me. Okay. Like, like, you know, I don't go to church either. Like, You're not I, you looking know. for a Jewish man who doesn't follow Jewish law to save you, Correct. who doesn't follow Correct. Judaism. Yeah. You're not looking for a socialist Jewish man who doesn't believe in Judaism to save you. Yeah, I like that. But, you know, the idea is, like, I like Bernie. But it is astounding to the people, like, well, he did this. And I'm like, okay, that was fucked like up. Like, you, you have a tat of him. Like, a, a, a tat of Bernie Sanders. But, I mean, I, think, I mean, I like the guy. I like a lot of his policies. I like a lot of, like, of his ideas. I've listened to, like, his old, old shit, like, from the, the 90s and the 2000s, the early 2000s. But... Well, the cool thing is you could literally just play it, and it's the same. It, yes. like, never changes. Yes, it doesn't. We could do a it's quiz, like, all, like, 99 absolutely. or 2017. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, I'm also not, you know, afraid or ashamed to critique the man. Like, yeah, he fucked up on this one, you know? But it's, so the whole, like, but Bernie, I'm like, okay, so did Kamala Harris. Y'all still yeah. standing for y'all right. queen. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. come on. And you that's know? the other thing. Like, you criticize, come at Bernie, criticize Bernie, whatever, but, like, don't then defend Hillary Clinton for like waxing poetic about using slave labor as the right. first lady of Arkansas. Yes, that's different. When it was when it was noticed that in her book it takes a village, she kind of wrote with yeah. fondness about um, the African American yes. men in her kitchen who were slave mm -hmm. uh, prison laborers. Yes. Yeah, it's really annoying because it like again it just it's so hypocritical and it cheapens like if we actually want to push like a good agenda and we want to push people to be better on xyz you can't just like push certain people there because then you just undermine it and no one takes you seriously like you can't be like upset about some at some politicians for stuff but not about uh using prison labor i think there's i think there's a branding aspect to it as well yeah. because uh like I, i'm a person I, i've been on the stage for a long time i got in my first rap battle and won when i was 12. Wow. and i've been on the stage since then and i podcast now i understand branding myself before privately owned social media existed and um and that's for some of these people to get their clicks so that they can um you know try to get a hit to their paypal or right. whatnot that's part of their brand. And in 2016, you know, uh, I, I, okay, I'm going to do it. Edit it out of your program if you need to. I know you probably don't want shit like this set on there. But, you know, punk ass niggas like, you know, one of them upper echelon petty bourgeois niggas uh -huh. where, like, the biggest problems is his life is what brunch he's going to take his segue to. Right. He puts out that the branding that you need now is hate Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it there, there isn't a reason why. It's just type in his name, see if there's a headline, right. and pretend to be angry at it. And that's totally. part of their branding. Yeah, it's just part of the hustle. 
that is like that's actually a very scary. Who was I just talking about? Oh, I, I interviewed Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who's great. Um, she's running for Congress against like this guy Joe Crowley. Um, she's from Queens. She's Puerto Rican. She's from the Bronx. She's representing an area in Queens and mm-hmm. the Bronx. He's this old Irish American guy, and he like gave some talk yeah. and was like upset that she's playing the race card or making it about races. He said. Meanwhile, he wrote like an op-ed like why I'm proud to be Irish American. Um, it's so amazing. But this whole thing about like how this this like fake narrative, this idea that if we offer people like programs that help everyone economically, that we're like somehow running after Trump voters. Like I feel like Twitter has been so good about creating this like just false dichotomy. Like either you offer things like Medicare for all. I mean, it's just, I don't, I shouldn't even pay attention to it, but I feel like they're, they're, some people try to pretend that programs like that are like only for white racists. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It, it's just like. That's what all means. <laughs> exactly. That's really funny. Yeah. Medicare for all, uh, asterisk, white racists who voted for Trump. And I think that that's that neoliberal shit, though, is like they have a very vested interest in capitalism and maintaining social hierarchies for the most part where they are. It's like. You know, yeah, obviously the Republicans are racist and they're on their white supremacy, sure. but a lot of Democrats are like, well, let's just give everyone bootstraps and yeah. whoever makes it to the top makes it to the top. Right. But keep the social hierarchy in place. Totally. But we can just have like some gays and some yep. women and some Negroes and stuff. A rainbow top like, 10% know. instead of a white, exactly. crusty 1%. Like that's Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, we still need to keep everybody poor like you know we're not we're not gonna get wild with it right. and you know give people health care and living wages and shit like that right. but you know yeah yeah uh-huh. not just a one percent a one-tenth of one percent yeah <laughs> <laughs> the 12-hour shifts make me forget what it was that wall street had to do with chattel slavery and yeah Genesis. exactly yeah oh yeah. like they built black people built wall street <laughs> No, that's like that's actually like only straight straight white men actually know about that. <laughs> only people who have like are in Marxist reading groups know about that. So that's some yes. privilege right there. Yeah, <laughs> which is actually Bernie Bros because everyone who supports Bernie is a white man. Yeah, exactly. Um, ben Jealous is actually, um, and Nina Turner are uh, actually well, self-loathing. Know, I guess that's the, they are. That's the well, narrative. You know, right? that was the funny thing with like when the Bernie Bros shit first started is people were actually telling her like, hey, um, could you not? Like, they're, you're, you're dismissing the, you know, the marginalized voices that follow him. And she stopped for like two weeks and then their clicks went down and then oh, they no. came back hard with the Bernie Bros and it's been Bernie Bros or white brocialists ever right. since. Right. And uh, Halper. Did, didn't I hear Ben Jealous on your program yeah, he some did, months yeah. ago? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't know much about him until I heard him on your program. And I was like, this dude's kind of hard. Yeah, he's kind of a G. He's really, like, he's very old school and, like, in a good way. Like, just, like, multiracial organizing around class issues, but also, obviously, like, very aware of racism. And he's, like, super smart also. He's a Rhodes Scholar. Not that you have to be a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, obviously, people use that for evil too. Look at Rachel Maddow, Bill Clinton, <laughs> but uh, but Ben Jealous used it for good. Yeah, no, uh, no he Russia was uh, hacked her teleprompter. <laughs> oh my God! Wait, who? Which one? Sorry, I forgot. Joyce, who's Maddow? Uh, <laughs> Russia hacked her teleprompter and uh, uh, oh Maddow, right? Yeah. Oh, to the core. And Joanne Reed, they just hacked her old blog. They just hacked the internet. All around her, yes, though. Yes, Russia did hack the internet. Just to get to that, um, <laughs> what's it called? The Wayback Machine? Yes. No, Ben Jealous is running for Maryland. And he, we actually had him on the show the day, literally the day of the election. And we were kind of joking around. Like, the whole, the focus of our conversation with him was, how do we keep Hillary's feet to the fire on progressive, you know, whatever. Keep her feet to the fire. Try to make her not as neoliberal slash hawkish um, as she is. And then as a joke, when he left before he was leaving, I said to like my co-host and him, I was like, oh, we should tape two endings, one if Trump wins and one if Hillary wins. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. And he's like, as of now, you know, fear, fear the possibility that Trump wins. And then he just laid out why he thought Trump would win. And it was, it was because like there are unlikely voters and we think of unlikely voters as black and Latino voters, but they're actually white, undereducated, like less educated um, cicada voters 
who don't vote often, so they're not polled because you're not polled after you like miss one cycle. And they come out for two things, extremism and celebrities. And he went through like whoever from like the love boat, from Fantasy Island, whatever. Um, and uh, Trump, of course, is both of those things, like an extremist and a celebrity. So anyway, but yeah, uh, yeah, these are uh, great. Yeah, I mean, it's just like in, the irony is it's totally uh, invisibilizing and infantilizing and doing everything that people who are use the Bernie Bernie narrative claim to be against. William, what's your job, like your day job? Machine operator. Yeah. It's a, it's a packaging plant. Uh, we serve the proud duty of, uh, in me in particular, <laughs> I make sure that somewhere around 380 pouches of Sour Patch Kids a minute Whoa. get produced uh, to nourish America's children this Halloween. Nice. At times, it's uh, croutons, mm. sometimes goldfish crackers, Ooh, are, because this is what's uh, important. Thirsty. Yeah. Do you hate yeah. all of those things? You must hate them all now. I um I actually don't like any of the products. I mean, as far as like my own little snackiness goes, sometimes we do the goldfish cracker pretzel. So that that one's dope. Yeah, you know, salt. Salt yeah. is always dope. But uh, yeah, we run that stuff. And sometimes like on a very good day, you know, you can kind of relax and just watch your machines run and just check them and make sure they're doing well. But then you look at that conveyor belt and it's like just thousands of pouches, typically somewhere around like a little over like 40,000 to 45,000 a shift go rolling out there. And it's like, how come we're not trying to do this with broccoli, with cauliflower, yeah. with spinach? Mm. We're subsidizing corn and packaging candy. Brussels sprouts. Yes, yeah. cruciferous vegetables, homie. Yes. Let's do that. We should make a, a whole, like, uh, an assembly line of cruciferous vegetables. I bet, like, some, like, Bill Gates or someone would pay for it, maybe. Should get Michelle Obama to pay for it. She's about... Yeah, to totally. Oh, my God. Who was it? Was it, was it Trump who said, like... It was really funny. Someone was like, she killed, she had kill, kids killed. Like, kids died because of her because they were trying to move because of that move campaign. Like, they would walk more than usual, so they got hit by cars. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I really missed that, some of those what uh, the fuck? memes. I swear, I'll find it. It's like an InfoWars oh, thing. Jesus. I don't know. I can't. Yeah, it's, it's pretty okay. amazing. Yeah, um, the, the super cuts of his quotes are going to be better than George W's. I uh, tell you, Alex's like, or uh, Alex Jones oh, or Trump's. It may have been a Trump thing. Too. My bad. Yeah, I was thinking Trump will still skin with, yeah, with Trump Alex still skin. Jones. That's amazing, yeah. Okay, so Alex Jones is also another issue on my program with me. And um, yeah, I, you know, laugh at him right. when he says the ridiculous things. Like, because anybody can go to rightwingwatch.org right. and get, you know, the clips that they select out. Right. But something I did before I started working in the factory, I had a different job and I and I signed paper that said I can't talk about oh, it online. Okay. And, uh, but I, I only worked eight hours a day. Mm. So I could listen to podcasts all the fuck long day. And, um, and between 2000, 15 in August up to um, March 2017, I listened to every single episode of InfoWars, wow. all three hours and the two-hour Sunday show, and I closely analyzed Alex Jones. Alex Jones is not some wacky, right. off-his-rocker conspiracy guy. He is very focused, he's very professional, and he is a neo-Confederate white supremacist to the core. He has seriously disturbing segments where I think that there may actually be people who have been murdered because mm. of his words. Like mm -hmm. um, like a couple weeks after he did a segment about Melissa Harris Perry, and then she was out at an event with some students from a college that she deals with, and, uh, and some white dude from a pickup truck went and crept up on her and threatened to harm her. Wow. And then like she's trying to get security and whatnot, and then the dude left. Mm. And, and all I want to know, like, you're like, I just want to know, is that guy subscribed to InfoWars in, in any way? Alex Jones is dangerous, man. We're also the best at tangenting. We are. We are so good at tangenting on our show. I mean, these people are funny and, like, not intentionally. Like, uh, but they're actually really dangerous. I mean, same thing with Trump. We know that he's, it, he, we don't laugh at him all the time. But sometimes I sit back and I'm like, oh, my God. Um, 
Alex Jones once said that like the KKK were like people in a KKK dressed up as KKK were actually like like Seinfeld actors, like Jewish. I gotta find it. There's a little bit of audio of me like 18 years ago protesting the KKK. There's no big crowd of Antifa there supporting me and then threatening to kill me, everything else. And it later came out that they were federal agents, like I said. It wasn't even real. I mean, quite frankly, I've been to these events. A lot of the KKK guys with their hats off look like they're from the cast of Seinfeld. Literally, they're just Jewish actors. Nothing against Jews in general, but they're leftist Jews. They want to you know, create this clash and they go dress up as Nazis. That footage in Austin, we're going to find it somewhere here at the office where it literally looks like the cast of Seinfeld or like Howard Stern in a Nazi outfit. And had the like chaos underneath it or something. Uh, they've almost got a little curly hair down and they're just up there hiling Hitler. You tell they're totally uncomfortable, they're totally scared, and it's all just meant to create the clash. It was one of his best hits, but this was great. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And um, where can people find you? Where can people find the show? How can people support you? And your work? Oh, Jesus Christ. The, um, the program, the RSS feed the program. is loaded I love the in, way you um, call it the program. It's like, you <laughs> yes. sound like a PBS watcher or something. Viewer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, and that's like a thing, right? Like, you want to be a little professional with it. Mm -hmm. Like, right now, we don't, we just moved into this, like, two-flat duplex, so I don't have the studio set up right. That's why our audio sounds like it does. It's very airy in here. Oh, God. I'm embarrassed that you hear my audio, yeah. Yeah, and and um and mine like with the laptop built-in microphone like we usually use um a uh, vocal condenser microphones. Yeah. And um but at the same time like you heard us talk on this program, we approach this leftist shit talking like niggas. Right. Like I'm like I'm going to come in here and I'm going to be the gangster rap of black podcasts and right. it's going to be accessible to somebody who um who didn't read the nation you yeah. know like uh it's and and it's gonna be raw and it's gonna be dope and it's gonna be background music and it's gonna be funky and if you right. have an apple device uh you can access the program in your that podcast application it's that purple icon that kind of looks like a like a internet logon symbol mm -hmm. um if or you could also get the stitcher radio application and uh, you can search the black podcast with wine cellar media uh the facebook live videos are obviously on Facebook, winecellarmedia.com is actually the name of the page and the name of the website, 15 bucks a year. <laughs> and um, and uh, what a application, a pod kicker. I know some folks like that application for your podcast. Uh, Google Play. Last FM. Yeah. Podbean. Podbean. Um, of course, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I hang out. Right. And your, your, uh, your <laughs> handle is? At Uppity Negress, two P's, two T's, two S's. Um, yeah, I, I talk a lot of shit over there, so. It's good. It's a good place to do it. <laughs> but you also yeah, walk the walk. You went to D.C. Um, yeah. You guys should meet. Do you know Irish Singh? You guys should do his show in Chicago. I'll introduce you guys after. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, we'd love to have you back on again. Next time you come on, maybe you can tell us what uh, why the Nordic model doesn't work, even though it's so obvious why oh, it wouldn't work, because yes, you're just pushing yes. it underground. Well, thank yes. you guys so much. And uh, to hear our extended interview... Um, with William and Phoenix, uh, please go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Uh, and shout out to Michael Graham and Progressive Army, uh, for, uh, which is how I heard about you guys. Friend of the show. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Peace. All right. Take care. Bye. So that uh, that was Phoenix Kalita and William J. Jackson uh, talking to us about all things anti-corporate and queer and sex worker involved. And it's such an important voice to hear. I'd love to do a live taping sometime with the Black Podcast. You know what? I said that to them. Let's do it. Aren't they great? They're awesome. Yeah. So we'll either have to go to Chicago or they will come here. I think we can find a way to get to Chicago. I think so, right? We should. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love to do a live taping sometime with the Black Podcast. You know what? I said that to them. Let's do it. Aren't they great? They're awesome. Yeah. So we'll either have to go to Chicago or they will come here. I think we can find a way to get to Chicago. I think so, right? We should. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we had a great time talking to you. And we will see you at our next live taping, June 30th at Caveat at 21 Clinton Street. I'd love to do a live taping sometime with the Black Podcast. You know what? I said that to them. Let's do it. Aren't they great? They're awesome. Yeah. So we'll either have to go to Chicago or they will come here. I think we can find a way to get to Chicago. I think so, right? We should. Okay, yeah, let's do it. We're putting it out there into the universe. Yeah, we're putting it out in the universe in the hopes that the universe will manifest it. 
see you later. I'm Katie Halper. You can find The Katie Halper Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter. Make sure you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. We will be doing a live taping of The Katie Halper Show on June 30th at Caveat in New York City. That's 21A Clinton Street. And you can go to caveat.nyc to get tickets and get them for a discounted price if you go now. You can use the promo code KHALPERINSIDER. That's K-H-A-L-P-E-R-I-N-S-I-D-E-R. Again, that's KHALPERINSIDER. And our special guest will be none other than Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank, of course, is the author of Listen Liberal or Whatever Happens to the Party of the People and What's the Matter with Kansas. He writes for places like Harper's, The Guardian, and he is the founder of The Baffler Magazine. And Thomas Frank has a brand spanking new book coming out called Rendezvous with Oblivion, Reports from a Sinking Society, and it's a collection of his writings. See you there.